Good morning. It's, it's just fantastic to be with so many precious, loving, affirming friends. Some of the people who know me best in the world are here. And it's just lovely, lovely to be with you. Okay, we've got a PowerPoint which will come up. Um, so um, Molly asked me to um, speak, and she asked me to speak on God Speaks in the Garden. And I thought, well, that's going to be very simple, because we know that God speaks. Um, at the time she asked me, God was speaking to me quite powerfully through actually random people. And actually, that's not on your list. God speaking to you through people. And I thought, that'll be easy. We can do a nice whistle-stop tour of all the local beautiful gardens. We can have some pretty things on the table. In fact, I even asked Molly, I said, can we have some nice things on the table, like fur cones and shells, and we can actually see if God is speaking to us through these lovely things. Um, But actually, when I started praying about it, I thought, you know, it's not actually about Western English gardens, this. Even if I was going to speak about God speaking in the garden, it wouldn't be about Western English gardens, the ones we all love so well. And I felt God saying to me, this is much broader than that. And so I thought, I think I will speak on God speaking in creation, what Christians call creation, non-Christians or secular society call it the environment or the eco or the ecological world, the natural world. And I think I'm going to speak about God speaking in that. Then I looked actually only yesterday. I thought, I'm sure Molly in her first email said something about that. And in her first email, I looked it up and she said, in the beginning through God speaking in the beginning through nature and creation. So that, so it's God speaks in creation. So I hope the committee don't feel I've <laughs> altered what you've asked me to speak about. So that's what we're going to speak about this morning. And then Molly also intimated to me that, because I said to her, I've listened, I listened to all the refreshed talks, as I listened to a lot of the sermons when I'm ironing, the three-county sermons, and um, um, I noticed that quite a few of them, Jacks and the other chap whose name I don't recall, were testimonies, were stories, and Elaine, we know, fleshes out everything she says, um, but I noticed that they were testimonies, and I said to Molly, does this have to be a testimony, or what? And she said, well, it can be Bible study, because I said, that's probably more my thing, but make sure it's earthed and grounded. That was the sort of intimation, I think, of what you said. So I'm going to mix the bits of biblical study and sort of theological thought with bits of my own story. Now, my own story on this subject is not by any means, ex- I'm not in any means an expert on this. In fact, humbly, I would say to you, I've failed miserably on this. And if you want to talk to the experts, there are some in Three Counties Church. I would think of people like Graham and Julia. I'd think of people like Ian and Becky and many others of you. I suspect Alison Proctor, although I've never actually talked to her about it. Um, But I suspect there are lots of others who've led the way and listened to God on this subject long before I have. So please, but I just think that my story might resonate with some of you. Um, And then uh, thirdly, I'm going to... um, try and ask three questions. How do we know that God speaks in creation? And then secondly, what is creation saying to us? And thirdly, what should be our response from what God is, to what God is saying? So first of all, how do we know that God speaks to us through creation? I think we know through experience. In about 1934, and forgive me those of you who've heard this story, but in about 1935, 1934, there was a little boy who was about eight. He came from a very challenging family. His mother was a depressive, suicidal. 
His father had been rejected and sent out of his um, family home um, by his father and stepmother and then had um, had to go and fight in Afghanistan and so on. And so there was a lot of baggage there and they were a very poor family. And this little boy, um, he didn't have the constraints and oppression of fear that rules are bringing up of children now and prevents us letting children roam. And so he would roam um, up there on the right. That's exactly the spot. He would roam in the um, uh, in, amongst the flashes, the Frencham, the ponds, the uh, and Hankney Common. And as he sat up in a tree over there, he just knew that God was speaking to him. He, God, uh, he, um, Jesus was not Lord of his life. He wasn't a Christian. He wouldn't call himself a Christian, although his families did go to the United Reformed Church at Beacon Hill. But, um, but he just knew that God was there. And he sensed God powerfully speaking to him. Now, that young boy was my father, who, as many of you know, became the founder, pastor of this church. So it is quite possible that we wouldn't be here today if God didn't speak through nature and through creation. Because it started there. Now, of course, God might have spoken to him and others in lots of different ways. But God chose to speak to him and reveal himself to him um, through um, nature. And then my own personal experience, um, as most of you know, I taught for about 26 years up at the Royal School, the top of Farnham Lane, on the edge of Hindhead Heath. And I was responsible for the worship life of the school, I was teaching the religious studies, and I was head of the pastoral care. So daily, I was faced with decisions about what to do about this pastoral situation, what to deliver to 250 teenagers in assembly the next day, um, you know, what, what God wanted to say in the teaching. Daily, these were my concerns. And I made it a habit to always, I thought, if I'm going to be teaching here, I'm going to enjoy nature. A lot of people were so sort of in their offices, you know, that they were... So I would always sit outside for a cup of tea, and actually then people would join me. But I also made it a habit, when my hours reduced a bit, to um, walk on the heath um, every day, as much as possible. And over and over again, I'd be saying, God, what do you want me to say in that assembly? And I'd walk out on the heath, and God would speak to me, and I would know what what to say, you know, now whether it was a physical thing or a spiritual thing or whether it was about clearing your head, I knew that God, I'd met God um, So in that way. God definitely speaks to us through nature. Um, and some theologians have called, called this the sacramental nature of creation. A sacrament, we don't use the word sacrament in this church very much. And in churches like this, but some of you will come from churches where sacraments, the word sacraments is really important. And it simply means a doorway from something ordinary to the presence of God and to God speaking. And um, you think bread and wine, ordinary bread and wine, and yet it becomes a doorway into God's presence in a special way. Or think water, or I could go on, other things, but think nature. Nature is, has a sacramental element and we can step through the doorway, open the doorway and we're in God's presence when we're in creation and when we're in the garden and when we're in the natural world. And one author has described it like this. As you sit on a hillside 
or lie prone under trees of the forest, or sprawl wet-legged on the shingly beach of a mountain stream, the great door, the door that does not look like a door, opens. So from our experience, we know that God speaks to us through creation. But we also know it through the Bible, throughout the Bible. I didn't, I, I sort of wondered whether to read the Bible at the beginning, but this is saturated with the Bible, and I hope you can appreciate that. All right, so Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. One of my favorite verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is no voice or language where you can't hear that. Um, Their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. All those words, I mean, um, uh, Trevor's an English literature teacher, and all those amazing words, declaration, speech, proclamation, God is speaking to us. I remember when I visited Derek's home in London. He lived in a flat in the east end of London, or SE9, and and there was nothing beautiful, and it grieved me. And then I looked up, and the heavens declared the glory of God. And that was just wonderful. Um, And there are numerous characters in the Bible where God has spoken through nature. I've got nine here. Quick challenge. How many can you think of? Where, who who has God spoken to through nature? We've only got a few seconds. Moses, yes, the burning bush. Job, Job, yes, absolutely. Job, what was that? Hearing in a whirlwind. Um, Elijah, absolutely. Jonah. Jonah, yes. David, and we go on and on. Adam and Eve in the garden. Noah heard God's promise as he gazed at the rainbow. Abraham heard God speak through a tree and later whilst gazing at the stars. Jacob discovered God in the middle of a desert whilst wading through the river. We've said Moses. Balaam receiving God's guidance through the mouth of a donkey. I've just read that story again. It's an extraordinary story. Absolutely extraordinary. Job, hearing God through a whirlwind. Oh, we've said that. Ezekiel, having a vision of God within an approaching storm. Jesus, meeting God with God on his early morning hill, hill walks. So how do we know that God speaks to us through creation? Through our experience and through the Bible. And through the Old Testament writers. Listen to this amazing verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration, but my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. Learning from nature. We once did a camp, didn't we, Trevor and Molly, called Be Bird Watchers, and that was based on the idea of Jesus telling us to be close, um, no, yes, close to, uh, uh, closely observe the world. Jesus encouraged us to be familiar with the created world and in so doing to allow God to speak to us. He taught us using lessons learnt from closely observed creation. Sheep, goats, grapes, seeds, yeast and weeds in a field. Observe creation and God will speak to you. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20, Paul tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been closely seen. 
And then furthermore, theologians and thinkers throughout the ages have, have witnessed this, that God speaks through creation. Jonathan Edwards, an American revivalist and preacher, the works of God are but a kind of voice or language of God to instruct intelligent beings in things pertaining to himself. So what is creation and nature saying to us at the moment? Now, when Molly asked me to do this, we were watching every night on the news the horrifying Australian fires. And then we saw the thawing of the Arctic. And... You know, the whole time we're hearing about climate change. And then we've got the recent floods, or the floods now, not recent. I was in email contact with somebody yesterday working in Hereford. And um, and we, any of us who walk know that every ditch in this area, even high up and every, everywhere, is thick with mud. Every ditch is full of water. When we look at this, what is God saying? Because I find it a bit frightening. I don't know about you. And I find it frightening. Now, to answer this question, I thought we just need to do a whistle-stop sort of biblical background. Very simple. But a quick look, a theological um, standpoint of creation. And I, I feel passionately that we do need to reclaim this story as a Christian story. And that we need to be teaching our children that this is a Christian story. I'm, I'm not in any way, and please don't misinterpret this, I'm not in any way against the scientists. I think we, we, we work together, Christian science, all through the ages we have. It's a myth that we're working apart. But um, it can't, it's not just a scientific issue, this. So let's reclaim the Christian story. And so just very quickly, um, God teaches us that God created the world, and it was good. He looked at all he'd made, and it was good. God created man from the dust. We're part of this created order. We're just dust, and we'll return to dust. God made man in his own image. So as well, we are dust, but we are made in the image of God, and he gave us huge responsibilities because of that. Genesis 1, verse 26 from the message says, God spoke... Let us make man in our image, make them reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. Here we see our God-given duty to look after the world. We've looked at the um, idea of nature as a sacrament, as a way to God, but we another theological perspective is that it's part of a covenant it's the covenantal uh, relationship we have a duty of stewardship we christians have a duty of stewardship we're made in the image of god and if we are uh, imitating god we have a duty of stewardship that convicts me badly um And then also Genesis goes on to explain that when men and women rebelled against God, the whole earth was cursed. I've never really, I don't think, although I've heard that preached on, I don't think I've really taken that on board before preparing for this. And that the whole earth was cursed 
So Genesis 3, verse 17 to 18, God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And then in Romans, we see, for creation was subjected to frustration. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. And then if you go on in scripture, we see that actually, nevertheless, the created world inspires uh, worship um, in Psalms. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. God is distinct from the world and the world belongs to God. Um, and actually, I haven't written it down, but I think it's a powerful thought. Throughout the Old Testament, the land was a, um, was a symbol of blessing or cursing, actually. that It was very important thinking, in Hebrew thinking, the land. And then the verse, these verses, which I, I decided I would read, actually, from the Bible, rather than just from my notes, because it's, these are a song of worship. If you read the commentators, this is a worship song from Colossians chapter 1, and it's about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then down to verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It was great to be singing about the cross this morning. And I think that one of the things that I, you know, have come to see afresh from this study is that Jesus cross not only saves my soul but in some extraordinary way it was to restore creation as well and actually very few of the worship hymns tell us that you know because we're a bit dualistic in our thinking we think it's all about our souls and but actually it's also about the land I was struck by um so, sorry, just to go back to that Colossians. So Jesus holds all things together. Isn't that great? He's the source and the sustainer. Actually, ultimately, our hope is in him to restore creation. I, I think that's wonderful. He's the saviour of the earth. He is the lord over the forces of nature. Um, so what is creation saying to us? Uh, when we hear about the deforested, forest, deforested landscape, sorry, or we sp- swim amongst the bleached corals. Have you done that? Derek and I did that a couple of years ago in Australia. We swam in the corals, and it was awesome. The patterns were beautiful, but I was a bit disappointed in the colours because some of them are bleached. Or we see the plastic-filled oceans... And we are aware of climate change. What is creation saying to us? And I think God will be speaking to you and will say something to you, but creation will be still saying that Jesus is Lord. It will still be inspiring worship from you. Jesus is awesome. But I think it's also saying that it's groaning, that it's hurting. 
and that it was made for Jesus and we haven't looked after it. As we reflect on our responsibility to look after the world, we have to acknowledge that we have failed to do that, each of us individually and corporately, as, as a generation, actually, as my generation. It wasn't my mum's generation. I think they looked after the, the environment, although I don't know that they are quite understood the theolo- theology behind that. But and my generation have definitely um, not taken it seriously enough. So what is our response? Now, um, I think we'll have the next slide, Jill. I, first of all, thought I would talk about a spiritual response and a practical response. This morning I thought, actually, that is wrong. You know, all our responses actually are spiritual and they work out in practical. It's much more holistic than that and that is playing into the dualistic sort of thing. Nevertheless, that's how I've sort of organised my thinking a bit. And now I'm trying to reorganise it just as we go along, so if it's a muddle, I'm sorry. Um, so a, in terms of a spiritual um, response, um, in the book Planetwise, which actually I haven't got there, but I've got to show you in a minute, um, by Dave Bookless, who's the um, director of Our Russia, he says, today more and more people are recognising that the environmental crisis is at the root of spiritual crisis. And Sir Gillian Prance, who was the former director of the Royal Botanical Gardens at Kew, says science alone will not be able to resolve the situation because it is a moral, spiritual and ethical one requiring major changes in our behaviour. So what is the response to the cry or the voice of creation? I, I think I'm just going to, at this point, just say something about my sort of journey about this. I was brought up to love nature. I can remember my first day at school, in Shottermill School, at the top of... Um, oh, I've got the name of the road. But anyway, Vicarage Lane, isn't it, I think? And, um, it, and I can remember seeing um, a nature table with tissue paper on it and ivy leaves all around the outside and little pots of beautiful, you know, flowers and all sorts of natural things. And I absolutely loved it. It captured my imagination. It still does when I go to the Haysmere Museum and see that. And then I, my best friend at school was uh, from the family who started the museum. They were experts in natural history. And my best friend's auntie, Margaret, ran a nature club. And I can remember exploring the countryside, looking for badger sets and badger's droppings. That's how you could tell. <laughs> and I just remember that, and it was just lovely. I can remember every Sunday as a family, we would go out for a walk, and we'd walk down, you know, Marley and Oakenbottom, and Oakenbottom was absolutely a, um, a carpet of primroses. And it was before the days where we knew that it was harmful to pick them, and we would pick these primroses and tie them in posies and tie them onto a stick, all these posies, and then give them to people. Um, or, and bluebells, bluebells, picking bluebells, and blackberries and hurtleberries. Um, and then, but through, and, and then all, one of my best childhood memories is going out with my dad from uh, when we lived in Milan across the fields to look for mushrooms early in the morning. And the most exciting thing about that was my dad never took time off work. He worked incredibly hard. And, um, but that day we forgot the time and missed school and work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and then I, as a teenager, you know, I just, I remember, you know, youth groups and that, rambles and getting out into the countryside and so on. Don't ever remember any sermons on the subject. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, I, and, and, and I'm not here to in any way criticise anything that's happened in the past. I absolutely loathe it when speakers do that. Um, I do remember, though, the Fact and Faith films. And that sort of that connection between God and the wonders of nature. But uh, anything on the res- our responsibility of stewardship? I don't recall that. I don't know. Do you? When you were a child, I can't. I can't recall that at all. Um, then, when I got married and we settled down in Hazelmere, I found myself gardening more out of self-respect because I realised that if I didn't do it, it wasn't sort of going to get done enough. Said. Um, so I never bothered to learn Latin names and things like that, but I am the sort of chief gardener, and walking. But again, no sermons. And it wasn't until I started teaching GCSE um, and responsibility for the planet that I thought, my goodness, we have a responsibility for stewardship. And we should be looking after this world. Now, as I say, some of you are streets ahead in this thinking, and I, you know, but I'm just telling you my story. And I actually did begin to modify a few things at home. I started having a compost heap. I started really consciously not wasting water. You know, any leftover water on the table would go into plants rather than down the drain, etc., etc. But only in a very mild way. And then a few years ago, God, I think, gave us another opportunity. We were invited to go to the Duchy farm um, at Highgrove, Prince Charles's farm, and um, for an educational tour, an educational day, it's quite an unusual, rare thing to get on. And again, I thought, my goodness, I haven't thought about where our food is coming from, the provenance of our food. I haven't thought about, you know, keeping ba- the balance of things. And again, I came back resolved to do something about it. Um, but, you know, things slip. And now I've been asked to think about it again. <laughs> And I just feel, you know, really sad that I haven't taken it seriously enough. And so I would put sort of lament as one of my responses and, and repentance as one of my responses. Because I've all, all gone too happily along with the culture of the day, living in my comfort bubble, you know, the Western dream, bigger and better, um, thinking that the earth and its resources are for me, thank you God for them, but not thinking about the, my responsibility. I've been greedy for more whilst my actions and those of my generation have led to the, the destruction of so much. Now, this is a very complex issue. We've all benefited from the Industrial Revolution, etc., etc. It's very complex. But I'm just telling you what my thinking and my story is and why I think that we... Um, have got to start thinking a bit more seriously about living in a very ecologically unfriendly house, actually, and being warmed by, you know, and so on. Um, And lots of other things we've been looking at, whether we should fly to Switzerland again this year, as we always do, or whether we should think of going by train, just things like that. We just just begin to think, is this about the Lordship of Christ? Is this, you know, about uh, something God is saying to us? So what else is the spiritual response? Obviously prayer and study. I think studying to really find out what God is saying and thinking and seeking to have my thinking renewed or refreshed. This is called refresh 
And I was thinking, oh, God, goodness, this isn't going to refresh anyone. <laughs> but then I thought, actually, you know, it's about having our thinking renewed and refreshed and opening to God. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Will. For me, it's made me rethink or refresh my thinking about Jesus as the sustainer and saviour of the world. I was struck again, actually. I was watching Songs of Praise on Sunday evening and struck again by the words of an old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I think this applies to the restoration of creation as well as the renewal of my soul. I think that the cross covers both. And I think this is an issue about the lordship of Christ in our life. Um, I notice that Joe Craig is using this verse um, from the Bible, which I'm going to read now, which is, um, and, and she's using it, quite rightly, to talk about a house group where they're going to do prayer walks around the town. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. This, that was a call to the believers. Whenever we sing that, we tend to think of politics and people, but it's also about the created order. In fact, I think it probably that's what it prob- probably was about because the Old Testament was very linked with, with the created order. Just it's one thing I didn't say, which I ought to say, is don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that the Australian friars proved that all the Australians are sinners and needed judgment. Not like that. But I do think we have a corporate responsibility to look after the world and that that is the thing that has, um, is causing some of these problems. Um, on the practical response, um, I think we have to walk this journey together. I think too often people who have felt that they've had a word from God about this or are living a lifestyle about this have been sidelined and thought of as just slightly quirky, slightly not central to church teaching. And you know that isn't right. We have to walk this and be accountable to each other together. In fact, um, I noticed that September the 6th is Climate Change Sunday, maybe something the leaders consider thinking about. And I know that in this church, actually, you're leading the way so many things. I just noticed your eco-cleaning stuff in the loo, and um, in so many ways. So I, and, um, but get out, get out into creation. Access the doorway that does not look like a doorway that leads into God's presence. Walk, in the, walk out there. All of you can do that. You can walk. You can sit I've taken to, if I'm on my own and having a coffee, I just take a blanket, even in this rotten weather, and try and sit outside. It's just lovely. And I, some of you who come to my house know that sometimes I have a blanket, let's sit outside um, late in the evening. Garden, cycle, run, ride, ski, sail, camp, picnic, draw. <laughs> Get out into creation to hear God's verse. voice. Imitate Jesus in closely observing nature in order to learn from it. For me, that's meant that I started drawing. Some of you, I may take photos, study. Be prepared to change your lifestyle. Um, 
I've put a book, L is for Lifestyle. This is Ruth Valerio. She's um, the Tear Fund. She works for Tear Fund. Tear Fund have done such a good job in showing us how that um, climate change has Im- is impacting the poor um, most. Lead the way for the next generation. I, a lot of you are grandparents, and um, I would say that get children outside. I know many of you do. But teach them the Christian story of the planet and take them doing conservation work. I used to take year nine pupils with the National Trust to do conservation work on the heath. They absolutely loved it. Only an hour in the year because that's all we could spare. But they absolutely loved it. We, we take our family, um, our eight grandchildren and um, so on to the... Um, to the Isle of Wight quite regularly and we employ a friend of ours who's an environmental expert to take us on, um, you know, uh, cr- crab hunting or um, up on Tennyson's Down with a geomap to learn about the plants or um, fossil hunting. You know, and actually we find it works really well because our family are all leaders and it's much better if we have another leader because then we don't argue about what we're doing. So, <laughs> so it's a jolly good thing to do. So I thoroughly recommend that. For Derek's um, 70th birthday coming up, we're going to have a night camping out in Tillington just because we think actually what they need is just to get out into nature. I was delighted to, where Derek and I were walking up on Hindhead Heath last summer and we saw about 40 young cyclists up there. I said to Derek, I reckon they're three counties, youngsters. And sure enough, they were, and they were being led by, I don't know, Roe, I saw Roe and Lee and um, Richard, where I expect, and, and others. I did miss my own two grandchildren who were there, but because they'd all got their hats on. Um, but wonderful, get them out, but get them out and tell them the Christian story. Tell them the Christian story of creation. There are lots of, uh, I don't need to tell you what to do because there are so, every magazine will tell you what to do. Just see what God tells you to do. But I have got a few, um, a few things here, um, which I was looking at. I see that Sarah Noble has been promote, promoting the Archbishop of Can- Canterbury's, um, Live Lent and there's a, there's an addition for children, for families and for, um, adults. So at Lent, it may, you may decide that during Lent to you, you, you know, that this is what God wants you to be looking at. Um, L is for Lifestyle, Ruth Valerio, we've mentioned that. If you want to study, this is a fantastic book. Um, and all these books you can get on Amazon now. Dave Bookless, Planet Wise. This I found really helpful as well. The Earth Will Teach You. Um, I'll, I'll leave these books on the table somewhere. Um, for you to have a look at. This is a secular book, although it starts and ends with scripture, and in my opinion is an amazing story of redemption. The, the book Wilding. Have any of you read it? I, I do recommend it. It's a, it's a great book about a, a farm down in um, East Grinstead, and um, where they decided not to stop doing industrial farming. Um, and it's, as I say, it, start, it begins and ends with scripture. The, 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 the verses, the turtle dove will return to the land. Because, you know, if we lose, if we lose bits of creation, I, I, I was very struck a while back by the fact that we hadn't got any thrush in our garden. And I realized that I was using slug pellets. I stopped using them and the thrush are back. Now, do I want to lose the voice of God through the thrush? I don't think so, and I think that's the thing, that if we lose, if we keep losing things, we'll, we're losing what God has given for Jesus, for Je- but also 
Um, God's means of speaking to us. Now, is our time up? All right, so we'll finish there. But I just pray that God will speak to you as he has done to me on this subject. Thank you.